Predictions are dangerous. We absolutely need more inventory. The Fed doesn't actually have a lot of tools to regulate inflation. That cash has dried up. Wow, is my first thought, Bruce. If both parties don't win, it doesn't happen. The Real Look. Trending News. Well, g'day. Today's Wednesday, January 24th. I'm Bruce Hardy. And I'm Chase Williams. And this is the news you need to know. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac are in the spotlight again over the role some housing industry experts say they could be playing in reducing mortgage rates if they resumed a more active investor role in the mortgage-backed securities market. That's a role those government-sponsored enterprises, or GSEs as we know them, have not played since prior to entering into conservatorship in the wake of the global financial crisis of 2007-2008. Now, what I think is interesting, some industry observers say if the goal is to make housing more affordable, then these GSEs could achieve that objective by acting as an active investor in helping to absorb existing excess mortgage-backed security supply in the secondary market. So do you have any thoughts around this? A few, I guess, Bruce. I think obviously when supply and demand is out of whack, in someone's opinion or legitimately, then bringing in a government-sponsored entity that has the capacity and the ability to purchase a whole bunch should they choose is a way to correct or change or modify that supply and demand, right? And of course, as you mentioned, this was common practice years ago prior to them entering conservatorship. My thought is the fact that they entered conservatorship and haven't done this since might make it pretty hard for it to be a welcomed idea to go back to doing it. It doesn't mean they wouldn't. Again, it's just speculation. And this is someone's idea that maybe they should. They've not indicated in any way that they would. Right. So this is just someone's thought. I do like this quote regarding why they might consider it from Scott Olson, who's an executive at CHLA which is you know, kind of a lending arm, a lending organization. He says, we're basically saying that getting rates down is the most important thing for homeownership affordability. Okay. And so it certainly would seem to be in there, the government-sponsored you know, sponsored entity's mission to buy and retain mortgage-backed securities. That is the reason for our call to action on this and why it's important, right? So they're encouraging this action for the sake of getting rates down, right? Because they want to see more people getting loans, and getting into the market, as you'd expect, from any sort of lending organization, right? It's so interesting because, you know, we talk about the macroeconomic impact, right? The tools that the Fed has at its disposal. And really, they're just two things. One is they can raise interest rates. And two, they can either what they do call quantitative easing or quantitative tightening. Quantitative easing is when they buy more and more of these mortgage-backed securities, as you said, supply and demand. So when the demand is greater than the supply, what we see is we see prices go up, right, of what they're paying for those. When it's the other way around, when we see supply outstripping demand, that's when we see prices come down. So the Fed has been using this concept of buying and and selling of their mortgage-backed securities as a way to influence the entire market. Right now, we have an excess supply in terms of demand, and that's estimated currently at some $25 billion monthly. That's as a result of the Federal Reserve launching its tapering program, known as quantitative tightening, an effort to wind down some of its combined multi-trillion dollar portfolio of both treasuries, 
and mortgage-backed securities. Now, quantitative tightening was phased in starting in mid-2022, shortly after the Fed began escalating its benchmark interest rate. So as of early 2024, mortgage-backed securities on the Federal Reserve's balance sheet totaled $2.4 trillion, and that was down from $2.7 trillion in June of 22. So what you can see here, Chase, is the Fed is looking to get more of this off of their balance sheet. So consequently, there's more mortgage-backed securities hanging out there, and they're getting sold for a lower price, which, by the way, creates a higher yield. Right. So this is the Fed trying to manipulate the market to slow down inflation. And again, you know, we talk about this and that is, is that housing is one of the largest components of the consumer price index. If they're going to impact that in any way, they have to impact housing. And what this is also causing, Bruce, and the story alludes to this a little bit, is a wider spread between the 10 year treasury and mortgage rates. Right. Right. And we've seen that spread be wider than historically, and in part because there's uncertainty of what the Fed's going to do next around inflation and and cost of money and everything else. And so now the spread is higher than it's been. Long story short, they're anticipating that as we get through these first few months of the year and the Fed meets a couple more times, even though they've indicated they're likely to cut rates a few times this year, there'll be less uncertainty. And therefore, that spread should shrink somewhat, although some people still expect it to be higher than maybe it was back when Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were buying these mortgage-backed securities Mm -hmm. way back when. And if that happens, right, if the uncertainty goes down, that should allow for somewhat lower mortgage rates, right? Because the uncertainty creates a higher spread, more certainty creates a lower spread and allows it to come back more toward that 10-year treasury note. There's a gentleman, his name is Mike Frattantoni, if I'm yep. saying that right. And he's a chief economist for the Mortgage Bankers Association. He's got a great quote saying that he thinks longer term, the 10-year treasury yield will settle around 3.5%. That implies a new normal for the market where mortgage rates settle in at somewhere around 5.5%, given you know the spread they're anticipating, assuming a 200 basis point spread over the 10-year treasury. So- Again, Mortgage Bankers Association, I'm sure they're hoping rates come down. I think a lot of people are. And if that projection, you know how we feel about those, is anywhere near accurate, that would be a welcome sign to anyone in any term from here. Agreed. Well, Chase, uh, mortgage rates continued their descent this week to mark their lowest level since May of 2023. And that's, of course, welcome news for home buyers who've been waiting on the sidelines for rates to drop. So last week, the 30-year fixed rate mortgage averaged 6.6%, and that was a decrease from the previous week of 6.66%. And that's according to Freddie Mac's primary mortgage market survey, which was released last Thursday. Now, the 15-year fixed rate mortgage averaged 5.76% this week, and that was down from 5.87% the prior week. What are your thoughts around the impacts of rates like that coming down and and being at this lowest level since May of 23. Rates coming down is good news generally across the board. And I think it will spur uh, some of those buyers that have been waiting on the sidelines to get into action, right? Every little bit helps. And so that's good news. I think the challenge for those buyers that get into the market and off the fence, if you will, even with this lower rate, is they're going to run into a persisting inventory challenge, right? And we're not reporting inventory numbers this week, but we report them regularly. And what we know is that 
inventory is still very tight, very low in most places across the country and in most price points. There's always a little nuance and difference in every market and in every price point, but overall, inventory is low. So what does that mean? If inventory is low, rates drop, more people get into the market, then you can see an upward press of pricing. And or you can see this multiple offer situation coming back again. And and frankly, Bruce, it really never left. It, It cooled down for a while, but the right property priced well. We're still seeing multiple offers on a lot of those those homes because there's just not a lot of homes for sale, right? So it's good news and it might be tempered with the reality of a short inventory market, right? Yeah. Well, and housing starts last year declined 9%. So again, that, that just adds fuel to the fire, so to speak. The inventory is not coming back quickly because those are housing starts. So that's going to be predictive of the number of new construction homes that are available for purchase this year. I believe you're right. I think we're going to see a real challenge with inventory. And again, the goal here is to get affordability in line. And if prices are continuing to go up at a dramatic rate, even if rates come down fractionally, hmm, that still impacts affordability. But what is interesting, right, last week, mortgage applications jumped more than 10% as a result of those lower rates, with solid increases, by the way, in both refinances as well as home purchases. In fact, purchase apps increased by 9% from one week earlier on a seasonally adjusted basis, and refis were up 11% in the same period. So again, people who pulled the trigger on those higher rate loans, and we talked about in our last story, Chase, you mentioned it, right? There is risk for those mortgage-backed security buyers because people are going to refinance out of them as soon as they can. Yeah. And I think, you know, for those wondering like how the mortgage rates can fluctuate in between the Fed meeting and doing anything, right? One of the reasons is there's a lot of speculation of investors, right? And so I'm going to read some information from the story that helps illustrate this point. More than 57% of investors have already priced in at least a quarter point cut in March, right? So they're anticipating a quarter point cut by the Fed in March, which of course is two months from the recording of this podcast but they've already priced it into their rates. Now, here's the other cool part. According to the CME Group's FedWatch tool, that's down from 67% last week and roughly 71% about a month ago. What that indicates is that those that are anticipating a rate cut are less than what we're anticipating a rate cut a month ago. Now, what does that mean? Maybe nothing, but it's why the the mortgage rates will and, and do fluctuate in between the Fed even doing anything, right? Well, and as you said, they don't even have to do anything. But if they say anything, that causes all this speculation, right? So Fed Governor Christopher Waller advocated moving carefully with lowering interest rates while acknowledging that cuts are likely this year. So they're not going to rush into this. In fact, he had a a presentation last week at the Brookings Institute. He said, in many previous cycles, the FOMC cut rates reactively and did so quickly and often by large amounts. This cycle, however, I see no reason to move as quickly or cut as rapidly as in the past. And I believe that is why you're seeing that confidence in a rate cut in March drop so dramatically from 71% down to 57%. I mean, unless things change dramatically, we're not going to see these really fast and hard rate cuts. And it's almost in line with the previous language we heard a lot of, which was higher for longer. 
right? So even as they talk about bringing it down, it's going to be slower. It's going to take time, right? They don't want to do anything dramatically. So just an encouragement out there for anyone still waiting around to make a decision, right? Yes, rates may come down, but not dramatically, more than likely. And so, you know, might be time to get in the game. And there's still going to be lots of houses sold, regardless, right? We just got to make sure we get our unfair share of them. Well, this may seem unrelated to us chasing the Northwest, but according to WTVD Channel 11, a state real estate commission has stripped MV Realty of its ability to conduct business in the state of North Carolina. In fact, the firm violated North Carolina laws and rules around real estate licensing when it offered homeowners in financial distress cash in exchange for the right to list their home for the next 40 years. Now, the attorney general there, Josh Steen, sued MV Realty, and he said, we allege that MV Realty is preying on vulnerable people to trick them into unfair long-term agreements. He said, my office is taking them to court to put them out of business. He also said at the time that MV Realty gained 2,100 customers in North Carolina since opening up shop in the state in 2020, and get this, 32,000 nationwide. Wow. (laughs) So my understanding of this, right, is that they were offering cash, not much cash from what I understand, to get people to sign these incredibly long-term agreements. But what's also talked about in the investigation is that it's found the services amounted to fraud and deception, right? right? It seems like a terrible idea to start with, even if there was no fraud and deception, but you add that in and certainly it's a recipe for something really terrible. Obviously, a 40-year listing agreement is prohibitively long and just seems like a crazy amount, right? The the story goes on to talk about how some of these listing agreements even survive death of the homeowners, right? And that they were placing liens on the properties, even though apparently their marketing says that they don't do that. So there seems like a lot of funky business going on here, Bruce. And, you know, this is unfortunate, especially for, for any industry, but certainly the industry we're part of. When you have people that are doing things that are just, you know, so clearly and blatantly to maybe anyone who would be paying attention, not in the best interest of the consumer, then you're going against exactly what we stand for as professionals, right? And our code of ethics and otherwise. So don't love seeing stories like this because they happened at all. I do love the fact that we're going after it and taking action to kind of correct whatever may have been done here. I think that we're going to see a domino here. The fact that the state of North Carolina took this action. I believe we'll see other states where people have been impacted. And I've heard of MV Realty working in the Northwest, for example, 32,000 homeowners. That's, that's a significant number of people. The other side of this, Chase, right, is, is we see this. I got into real estate now and I'll be 30 years in May in the real estate industry. And back when I first started, the purchase and sale agreement was one page long. Now, in the state of Washington, how many pages is it? It's usually about 27 to 29 pages. More every year. (laughs) Every year, right? And the reason that there's more is because bad things happen. They enact new legislation. Well, legislators uh, in North Carolina enacted a law now that bars exclusive listing agreements from being longer than one year. So again, I think this is a precursor. We're seeing more and more restrictions and rules being placed on us. I think the key with that There will always be rules. We need rules because the rules are the guardrails, right, on how we play the game. But the rules aren't how you win the game, right? How you win the game is through strategy. So regardless of what the rules are, you have to figure out what the winning strategy is. I think, you know, again, we just need to be aware of this as an industry. 
Yeah, absolutely, Bruce. Those that figure out how to play the game inside of the rules are typically the ones that always win the game, right? You know, the professionals that operate that will be just fine either way. I do find it interesting that kind of when these negative things happen, sometimes the pendulum swings really far the other way, right? And I'm not saying that, you know, not allowing a listing agreement beyond a year is necessarily a bad thing, but you think about certain types of properties and how long they take to sell, depending on what's happening in the market. There's going to be some luxury agents who might need to think twice about how they go into a relationship with the seller, given those new constraints, right? And of course they will. They'll figure it out. It will be not a non-issue to them in the long run. Glad that we're taking action on this in general, that North Carolina is at this point and you know, we want to always make sure that we are cognizant of doing the right thing for the consumer always. Yeah. Well, when you said that, Chase, I, I remember markets when the average market time was nearly 360 days. That right. was average, right? So you're right. Again, the markets change. Well, that's the news you need to know. Don't miss this Friday's Northern Lights episode where we'll interview Molly Dematis, Dean of K-Score and KW Prep serving real estate students across the United States. Thanks again for tuning in with us on The Real Look. This podcast is produced by Marissa Frost. Visit kwnwr.com to access the show notes from today's episode. Head over to Apple, Google, or Spotify, or really any major streaming platform to subscribe and don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks again for listening to The Real Look.